got a simple question for us this morning. Um, what do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? <laughs> Just a little question. <laughs> That's a real one, right? That's a some question. What, is, what do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? That question goes to the depths of who we are. It's, sometimes it's pretty complicated to answer. It touches on a lot. And truthfully, I think that's the reason why I love hanging out with my kids, because you always know what they're thinking about you. In any given moment, when they are sad or mad, you can tell um, that they're sad or mad. Uh, When they are happy, they are oh so very happy. (laughs) Whenever somebody asks me, like, how's your day going? I'm just going to do that from now on, that little dance. But the God question seems a little bit more complicated than just emotions, and it, it seems a little bigger. You know, what, is, what, do you, what do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? Well, you're at church this week, and so this is a good qu- time to answer that question, ans- ask that question, because obviously if you're here at church, then you've got that on your, on your checkmark list. It's perfect time to ask that question. Uh, God loves you no matter where you are at 11 o'clock, uh, and we do too, of course. But, but here it open. Um, we believe and we've experienced this simple, profound truth of what the answer to that question is, Uh, that this answer is good news, that our God is love. And so what we lift up high and, and clear is this answer to that important question, what does God think about you? And it's this, God so loves you, so loves you, yes, The God of the universe, who who knits you and forms you and knows you and and knows how you are made, what makes your heart race, your uniquenesses and your idiosyncrasies of all the ways that the God of the universe could feel about you. The answer is simple. God so loves you and likes you and thinks you're ridiculously awesome and, and unspeakably beautiful and a pretty good hang, as we say. And that God has enduring hope a profound purpose for you. God so loves you. And I'll, I'll just say, if you've ever heard differently, if you've ever felt differently, if you've, ever, if you've ever been told differently that somehow you are loved less because of your doubts or your questions, your story or your history, because of who you are or how you are, where you are, or where you've been, if you've ever felt less than or disqualified, I am so incredibly sorry because the truth is that God loves you with unqualified love as you are, for who you are, God so loves you. And so Jesus shows us a clear picture of Jesus' heart, of God's heart, we think. And we see it, we see that, that it is full of love. And Jesus loves radically across all the lines of, of race and gender and politics and religion. Jesus loved wide open. But he also loves specifically. He loves specific people with names, Mary and Peter and Matthias and Martha and John real people that he he loved and listened to and walked with and was friends with and laughed at their dumb jokes, I'm sure, and empowered them and believed in them. And in the same way, God loves you specifically and especially like the real you God loves. But I know myself well, and so I've got a lot of like, yeah, but (laughs) kind of questions. How about you? I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect partner. Let's just say sometimes on my year in eval, I'm shooting for meets expectations. That's what I'm going for in life. But Jesus shows us something about God's love that just changes the whole equation, I think. That God's love is not about expectations. 
It's not about earning or gaining or doing, achieving worthiness through our choices or our accomplishments, or being practically perfect in every way, like Mary Poppins. It's about this. God so loves you, period. And that love of God goes first and far before we ever turn our hearts in that general direction. Without expectation, it is perfect love with hope and help for you every step of your journey. God's love is not about who we aren't. It's about who we are. And you are so loved. You are beloved. That's what God thinks about when God thinks about you. But you don't have to take my word for it. So last week, we, uh, we read this from the community that gathered around John, and they wrote this very matter-of-fact verse that Shaley read for us that just covers all of those, like, well, yeah, but kind of questions. And this is what it says in 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Beloved, we are God's children. It's not about what we aren't. It's about what we are, and what we are is beloved children of God. That is what we are. That is the core of our being. And so the early followers that wrote this, uh, they wrote this in a culture in which ritual and rote performance were the way to gain the favor of the gods. And so this was a huge paradigm shift from behaving to earn something to realizing that you were created beloved. That paradigm shift was so remarkable for them that it transformed everything. It freed them. It gave them life. But when they began to realize that it applied not just to them, but also to those around them and to their neighbor as themselves and to all people, that love began to permeate their whole worldview and it changed everything. So much so that they made up a new nickname for each other that they would call each other. Uh, they would call each other agapitos, which means one who is loved, beloved. You see that like throughout the literature. They just call themselves that. They'd say to each other, you know, Yo, Agapitos, one who is loved, what's crack a And they'd say, you know, not much other one who is loved. And that's just kind of how they referred to each other as beloved. Um, I, just, I think we should get back to that. That's kind of my squad goals for our community here. That nickname of thinking of, our, of each other as beloved. Most of all, to see each other that way, to see ourselves that way, to realize that in this room, those we are surrounded by and ourselves are beloved children of God. And so, like, look around the room right now. Don't make eye contact, because that's weird, but just kind (laughs) of glance around. People around you are loved by God. They're beloved, and so are you. You are loved by God. Beloved, Agapitos is your nickname, and that's in view of everything, your past, your present, the labels that you walk around with. God's heart toward you is love. When you lie down your head on your pillow, between you and your creator, there is nothing but love. No matter what, no matter age, race, ethnicity, identity, orientation, affiliation, whether you are a Longhorn or an Aggie or an Eagle or a Pioneer, whether you're rooting for the L.A. Rams, I would say the Patriots, but I do think that's the exception <laughs> that, that proves the rule, really. Yeah, that's right. You are, you are loved, maybe even Tom Brady. <laughs> You are beloved. What's up? One who is loved by God. But this truth that God so loves us is so easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy to lose sight of in the midst of the expectations of the world, of other folks' opinions, our own self-evaluations. 
I mean, right now we're in that time where the New Year's resolutions aren't quite working out for us because we're not working out (laughs) for us too. There's guilt and there's shame in that. One of my New Year's resolutions this year was not to break my New Year's resolutions. And so I'm like double deep in this thing. Next year, my New Year's resolution is not to feel shame over breaking my New Year's resolution. That's what it's going to be. We start to wonder whether that belovedness really applies to us, whether this is really for us. And so as I was preparing for today, I read this quote in Jonathan Martin's book, Prototype, uh, this book about how Jesus is the prototype, the one who shows us life as beloved in the beloved community. And he says this, he says, when God called Jesus his beloved, Jesus did something truly remarkable. He believed God. Jesus lived every moment of his life fully convinced of his identity. And like every other person in history, Jesus never forgot. He never forgot. And so the more we can remember in that same way that Christ remembers, the more we are empowered, I think, to live in the Christ way of love as beloved. So in that chapter, uh, Jonathan Martin was telling the story that appears in three of the Gospels of those stories of Jesus' life. Uh, At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, God speaks that word beloved over Jesus and over Jesus' life, and it's that same word that God speaks over us. And so in this story, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was out in the desert baptizing folks, you know, doing what Baptist cousins do in their spare time. So Jesus comes by, and Jesus gets in the back of the baptizing line. And I just love the image of, of Jesus standing at the back of the line, just making small talk with the other people in the line. Then it's his turn to be baptized. And as Jesus goes down, and he's coming up out of the water. The story says that there was this voice that was spoken over him. And I don't know if anyone else heard. It doesn't say. But this, this word was spoken over his life that says this, You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And as Jonathan Martin said, when when God called Jesus beloved, Jesus did something remarkable. He believed God and lived every moment of his life from that identity. And I know what you're thinking. Like, that's fine for Jesus. Jesus is like perfect and stuff. So of course God was well pleased with, with him. I, on the other hand, took my eye off of my daughter Grace for like a couple of minutes this last week, and she comes around the corner with a block of cheddar cheese that's half gone. So uh, the only person well-pleased in that was Grace. She was very satisfied in that moment. But this story isn't about performing to please God. This happened before Jesus' ministry even began. Jesus hadn't done anything yet, really. So it wasn't Jesus' actions or Jesus' perfection that brought God so much delight. It was Jesus' very existence. In the same way that God delights in your very existence, in you. You are a beloved child of God. That is what you are. What if we heard that same word that has been spoken over us? What if we believed that? That you are my beloved child, God says. With you, I am well pleased. So a few weeks ago, I was talking with my friend J.D. Walt about this particular verse. I live a very interesting life, just so you know. Just talking about this stuff all the time. <laughs> J.D. and I were talking. Uh, he's in academia, and he's you know, pretty accomplished in that world. But the world in which he lives, quite literally, your accomplishments equal your worth in some ways. You get points for your publications or your accomplishments that determine whether you are good enough to stick around. And as well as he's done, that performance mindset 
living simultaneously with, in some real way, taking your worth from your achievement and accomplishment. Living with that and with the fear of failure and the anxiety of imposter syndrome, all of that just swirling together was just living here for him all the time. He was judging his own worth and his own identity and his own belovedness by that same point system that other people were judging him by. And so J.D. started this spiritual practice every morning um, in the shower. He speaks those words, you are my beloved child, over himself. Uh, He says the shower is pretty close to baptism. And so depending on your background, you may need to do it in the bathtub so you can go all the way under. (laughs) Preacher joke there. Um, But as the water's running over him, before he's begun his day or he's, he's tried to do anything or accomplish anything or earn his own worth or earn God's love for himself, before he has even started, he says, J.D., you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And he lets that word wash over him, and that's what starts his day and empowers his life as he remembers before all and above all what God thinks about when God thinks about him, that he is so loved. What if we began like that? So I want to tell you what beginning like that did for Jesus. Um, but you got to follow me on this because the story gets kind of wild in the next part of this. But there's something for us here in this. So after that baptism where Jesus goes down, here's that word, beloved, the story takes an unexpected turn. Uh, Jesus, it says, must immediately put his identity of beloved to the test uh, in the desert. Is he really going to believe this and trust in God's love for him uh, as a beloved child of God? Is he really going to center his life and his vocation on love of God neighbor, flowing from God's love for himself? Or is he going to do, like so many, to pursue this vocation through power and popularity and prestige and security? And so in this beautiful symbolic story, Jesus goes to the wilderness where all of the good testing happens, whether you're Jesus or Bear Gryllis. And in 40 days of fasting, he faces off with all those voices and messages that speak against and chip away at that good news, beloved message of God spoken over us. And so just FYI, this is not what I'm suggesting you do after you take a shower in the morning. Um, Don't head to the desert. But here in the desert for Jesus, he faces off rap battle style kind of with those voices and those messages and those accusations the ones that always try to chip away and invite us to doubt our worth and that beloved world, word that's spoken over our lives, that play to our fears, that invite us to trust in something besides God's love for us, that voice that tells us that we must do something to prove who we are, to prove that we are worthy, to prove that we are what God has already declared us to be, beloved children of God, and there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves more beloved than we are, but in our hunger and our thirst, sometimes that can be hard to remember. And so in this wild desert story, Jesus, in his hunger, is tempted to use his identity and use what he has to pursue a quick fix, to turn rocks into bread, and in this symbolic way, to choose the path of filling that hunger with the temporary fleeting fixes that do not satisfy and sustain us and give us life. In our hunger, sometimes we do that. I do that. When I'm not living for my identity as beloved and I try to feed myself I just end up eating rocks, right? So in this epic desert moment in Matthew 5, it it goes like this. The accusation comes to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, 
command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answers, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God and drops the mic. Boom. And so J.D. and I were talking about this, and he asked me about that story. He goes, so what do you think that word from the mouth of God that Jesus was feeding on out there in those deserts, on those 40 dark desert nights out there, what, what was Jesus feeding on from God's mouth? Which is a crazy question that I've never considered about this story. And I was like, I, I don't know, um, which is my answer a lot to this stuff. I have no idea. J.D. said, what was the last word that Jesus heard from God? And so I start playing the Bible tape backwards, and I stop. You are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. That was the word that Jesus heard. And I think that might have been the word that Jesus was feasting on in that desert season that was keeping him afloat and aligned and alive and in love. In that time of testing when he wasn't quite sure where God was, he remembered who God was and who God says that he is. A beloved child of God in whom I am well pleased and Jesus did not forget it. And how we need to, I need to remember that, that word in our worth that's holding on to us when the night seems like it's holding on, that God is holding on deeper, stronger, with a love that overcomes everything, especially in those desert seasons. God so loves you. So when I was becoming a pastor, we had to take a personality and psychological evaluation. Um, which I took six days after my first kid, Hudson, was born, which is a terrible time to do that, by the way. Just FYI. So the results came back. You know, they told me a lot about myself. They told me I needed more sleep. Uh, that was the one. But it also, I remember the phrase, uh, I remember this, um, that I was prone to rumination was the phrase. You may, I, I can hear some murmurs. Some folks know what that means. To ruminate means that I chew on stuff maybe a little bit too long. Conflict, conversation, casually uttered words, whatever. That word rumination comes from animals like cows who chew on things, and I'm not going to get all 4-H up in here. But they chew things over and over and over and over and over again, so you get the idea. So I'm always going to be ruminating on something in this life. I may turn something over and over in my head. But what if... What if, what if I did what Jesus did and I didn't forget, and I remembered that word spoken over me? What if the word that I was turning over and over wasn't imposter syndrome or some silly slight, but the simple, soul-filling word of God spoken over me and spoken over you and us all? You are my beloved child with you. I am well pleased. What if that's what I turned over? What sprang up inside of me where I found my nourishment and my nurture and my energy and my empowerment and my worth that I meditated on this so that when those other words speak that this is the word that springs up and sustains and satisfies and stills my soul. The good news of God's love that overcomes any other words, any other ideas that we are anything other than beloved. The good news that says that God does not want your perfect performance or your spiritual attainment or your overachieving, that God simply wants you as you are, for who you are, in all you are, and is hoping for you and working for you and working in you so that you might flourish as you were built to be. But above all, 
that God is simply loving you. So instead of ruminating, maybe I should try meditating on this beloved word spoken over me. Turning that word over any time, any other word tries to chip away and speak. Not ruminate on rocks, but meditate on this bread of life. As the very first psalm says, happy are those who delight in the word of the Lord. And on God's word, they meditate day and night. They're like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season. Their leaves do not wither. There's a deep gladness, a sustaining life that flows from this place of living in that word of God's beloved child spoken over you that yields fruit and gives life. And that does not mean that everything in life is happy, happy, joy, joy all the time at all. (laughs) And it does not mean that we don't need other conversation partners or counselors to help us on our way, but it means that the word that God wants us to hear above all and before all and beneath all, and the words that others can help us hear sometimes for ourselves. So the word that's spoken over us and in us and with us and for us is you are a beloved child of God in whom God is well pleased. And so in those dark nights, those doubting deserts, it is there with us with a joy that is deeper than anything This love that will bear fruit in season and quench us like a stream and satisfy us like the bread of life. And so what does the God of the universe who spun this thing into existence, what does that God think about you when God thinks about you? God so loves you because you are a beloved child of God. God says with you, I am well pleased. This word is the word that is spoken before and throughout and forever over your life, for you and in you and over you, now and forever. May that be our identity. And may we never forget. Let's pray together. Gracious, loving God, who calls us beloved children, who calls me specifically me, like real me, beloved. God, it is amazing. But your love for me gives life. God, you see me and know me and built me. You call me. But first, you call me beloved child of God. God, that love at work in me and for me and through me changes everything. And so let me hear that word first and far before and through it all. God, but in this way that you call us, you say, then love your neighbor as yourself. And as I look around this room and I see the faces of God's beloved, as I look into the world and I see my neighbors, I see those children that you love, God, let it stir me to action, to love others as you have loved me in that same way, as beloved children of God. And then let that be my way of life. God, thank you that you were there with us in the deserts, in the streams, And in those times when we meditate on your word, let us hear your love clearly. 
We pray this in your name and in your love.